Hey, I'm Chrissy. Welcome to Jameson and Monroe Wellness for Moms. I'll be your host on this podcast that will be talking about all things maternal mental health. Thank you for being on this journey with me as I share my own story and the stories of other local moms. Together, we can bring more awareness to maternal mental health. These podcast episodes contain sensitive material that may be triggering for some individuals. So before listening, I just ask that you be mindful of where you're at with your own mental health. These stories are emotional, raw, but most importantly, they are stories of hope. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 10 of Jameson and Monroe Wellness for Mums. Today I have with me my friend Hannah. Hannah and I um, actually went to high school together and then I've just kept in touch on social media um, since then and Hannah has a really important uh, story to share today. I do just want to put out a trigger warning um, that her story will talk about um, IVF and infertility. Um, So if you feel that you're not in a place to... um, continue listening, then just keep in mind and take care of yourself. But uh, Hannah, I'll let you take it away and uh, start wherever you feel comfortable. Uh, Well, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, I guess I will start with um, my diagnosis of endometriosis. So I first knew that my periods weren't normal when I was about 15. Um, I, I would stay home from school a lot and miss soccer and rugby like once a month staying just staying in a ball for like five or six days. Um, I remember a lot of times um, waking up in the middle of the night with like sharp pains and having to like crawl up the stairs to my mom's room to just like, just to tell her that something was wrong. Um, so I went to emerge quite a bit in my junior high and high school years. Um, and they would always just, uh, just kind of give me pain meds and then send me on my way after they ruled out like appendicitis and UTIs. Um, so it wasn't, um, sorry. No, it's okay. Okay, so I was on different um, birth controls to help with the painful periods, as like your GP usually does. Yeah. Um, so I was on like the patch at first, and then the pill, and then when I was twenty-two, she put me on Depo-Provera. Okay. Which is like the injectable injectable one, um, and then that is what caused my um, ovarian cyst to start bursting. So I was on like one of my first, I'm a nurse and one of my first shifts at a new job, I just had like a shooting pain in my stomach and I just passed out from the pain and I just woke up and all these kids are looking over me. Oh my God. <laughs> but they just wheeled me down to emerge and I was just kind of, um, just expecting to be discharged like I usually was. Yeah. Um, but that was the first time I ever got an ultrasound, which is bizarre that they never, like looking back on it now that I never had an ultrasound when I had just like... You, um, seven pain. years yeah. yeah um so I had my the first ultrasound when I was 22 and just laying there I was just like okay I'm just ready to get discharged like usual but then when she went and got the, the ultrasound tech went and got the doctor um I kind of just like knew something was wrong and I that was my first like like holy shit like I something's wrong my, yeah I wish my mom was here like I wasn't alone <laughs> yeah yeah because they literally took you from work yeah and then just went down, I was with Alec and just rolled me down to emerge and then yeah. sat there. Um, and then, so they, it turns out that 
um, they could see that a cyst had burst and my abdomen was just full of fluid. So they referred me to an OBGYN and then there was an urgent referral. So I got in within a couple of weeks, which was nice. Um, and that was at the high center just across the street. Okay. So during that first appointment, uh, the doctor, um, said he thinks I have endometriosis, uh, which was a relief to know that there was an answer for all this for after so long, but it was kind of, he was like an old school doctor and he was just like, okay, you go research it and then we'll, I'll see you at your next appointment. <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, worst <laughs> advice ever. <laughs> so I'm like, I, I'm sure I did research it. I don't remember much of what I what I researched, but I came back and he was like, okay, we're going to have, um, because your cyst is so big, it was 10 centimeters. Yeah. And even after a burst, it just kept refilling with blood. Um, so he needs you a laparotomy, which is, um, like the C-section scar. Right. So, um, so I had that, or had that referral and that took about three months to get into surgery. And like looking back, I know he wasn't as qualified as there's like different specialists for endometriosis, which I wish I, I wish I knew about back yeah. then. I would just like take whatever the doctor said, cause he's the doctor. Yeah. Um, um, and I feel like, especially as nurses, we, you just trusting mm-hmm. the medical professionals, right? Exactly. Like you're like, okay, you tell me that. Yeah. I need this surgery. I'm going to have the surgery. Yeah. Um, so I learned that endometriosis um, is when like tissue that's similar to the inside of the uterus is growing outside of the uterus. Okay. So just like the lesions that are, it can be everywhere. It can be up in your diaphragm. It can be, wow. um, yeah, just like all in your pelvis. Um, it causes inflammation and it's fed by estrogen. So whenever your estrogen is high is when you're in pain. So when you're on your period is when you're in the most amount of pain. Okay. Um, and the only cure is excision, excision surgery. So when they, they think it's like an iceberg, so they like can claw it out kind of. Yeah. Um, and there's only certain specialists that can do that or know to do that. Like yeah. right now in Alberta, there's only 10. Wow. Um, and all other OBGYNs will just do ablation surgery, which is just like um, lasering it off. Okay. Uh, so that's what I first had done is um, the ablation. Yeah. Okay. So... I had the laparotomy, which caused a lot of issues down the road because there's so much scar tissue now. Yeah. Um, and then the ablation surgery worked for maybe a year. And then, because it just grows back, right? Yeah. So, um, what happened after the out? Um, at this point, like, when you um, collapsed at work, mm-hmm. did you even know you had a cyst? No. Okay. I didn't know it was on. You had yeah. nothing. Okay. Yeah. It was kind of the same as when I would wake up in the middle of the night and, like, Something yeah. was going on, like it was a sharp pain. Yeah. Um, so now, now looking back, I knew that there was cyst bursting at that time too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they would just keep growing back. Um, so in that surgery, he, I lost my right ovary um, because oh. the cyst was on it and it just... It, they said that the my ovary like exploded and there was oh. just just too much going on. Okay. So they check out my right right ovary and right tube, um, and then that's when they were like, "Oh, you should have tried to if you want kids, you should have started trying yesterday." Basically. Wow. So I was like twenty two, not in a relationship, and I'm just like, oh, "Yeah, cool." <laughs> Nowhere near ready. Yeah. Yeah, but I always knew I wanted to be a mom, so that was like scary. Yeah. Um. 
So then at that point, I was referred to the first fertility clinic in Edmonton. PCRM was the only one available at that time. Okay. Um, just to talk about freezing my eggs if this happened again, and then it would I'd have to take my other ovary out. Um, so I was yeah twenty two when that happened, um, but it was I think it was seven thousand dollars at that time, and again I wasn't in a relationship. I was just a dumb twenty two year old, so I was like I don't have enough money for this. I'm not yeah I didn't follow through with it yeah. Um, and then at that point I was put on a medication that like changed my life for the worse, I would say. Um, I was told that my, they want us, they wanted to basically put me into menopause so that I didn't have any estrogen in my body to feed the endometriosis. Um, so for six months after my surgery, I was on Lupron Depot. Okay. And yeah, it was terrible. Like, so it put you into menopause. So all those, um, symptoms like or side effects like hot flashes and yeah all that fun stuff but um and okay sorry what was the what was their like goal with that again just to give my body a break that okay from like the pain and like mm-hmm. they didn't want the is that supposed to help the tissues not grow back yeah okay so it gives you a break for like those six months that i would be on it um and i wouldn't have my period so i wouldn't be the blood wouldn't be going into the cyst if i had right any. okay um because yeah every month when I when I bleed with my period, they also go into the cysts. So okay. And my cysts are just they just grow. growing. Okay. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, yeah. So amongst many awful side effects, it also affected my mood quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um. I was first diagnosed with depression when I was in grade twelve. Um. But I never had like suicidal thoughts until I was on the Lupron. Wow. Um. Yeah, it was terrible. It was six months of just crying myself to sleep wondering why I wanted to die so much and just just wanting it to go away yeah but and yeah. was that talked about to you that it could be a potential side effect when no, you were on nothing, it nothing was talked about it was just and, take this and yeah and again I'm just like okay if this is what you think will help me have a kid in the future I'll do it yeah but yeah that was I'm a very big advocate now for to go to not go on Lubron for endometriosis treatment because yeah. it affects your um, your bone density as well and yeah. so osteoarthritis is a big concern now in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was shitty. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe like further on in our conversation, you can maybe touch base on what you've noticed has changed since you were twenty two mm-hmm. in the endometriosis world and yeah. like accessing stuff and if you've seen any positive mm-hmm. changes because that's just like. It's unacceptable that that was the care that you were given. And I don't mean to, like, offend anybody by saying this. Actually, I don't really care if I offend anybody. (laughs) But, like, male doctors handling female concerns like this. Mm -hmm. Like, I I feel like the majority of us have had an experience with a male physician that's like, oh, just take this. Mm -hmm. Oh, just... There's no further investigating. There's no... It's like just put a band-aid on the problem. Yeah. Oh, it's a it's a bad period. Get used to it. Like everyone has done. Yeah. Right. Like they know what it feels like. Right. right? Like, <laughs> God. Okay. So, then what? But yeah. So just like looking back on like my, on when I was twenty two, that was definitely when like our healthcare system failed me. Like I had a mm-hmm. surgery that was way more invasive than it needed to be. That could have been done laparoscopically, but he was yeah. just very old. And yeah. And just did what he was used to. Um, I had, again, like a band-aid solution on the endometriosis, and when I went to my GP and told her I, like, had a plan on how I wanted to end my life, she just sent me home. 
It no. was ridiculous. Like, looking back on it now as a psych nurse, I'm like, I should have been admitted. Yeah. It was... So what did she say to you? Like, uh, she upped my antidepressant that wasn't working. And then I was just like, okay, see you later. <laughs> oh my god, Anna. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I feel like the lack of knowledge with our family doctors and mental health is... Again, unacceptable. It's scary. It, it is terrifying, right? And especially, like you said, you'd never had suicidal thoughts before. Yeah. And now when you have them, they're terrifying. Mm-hmm. And my family doctor was the same same way. Oh, this med's not working. Okay, well, wean off of it. Here's the next one. Mm-hmm. Like, there was never any explanation as to, like, okay, this is why I'm putting you on this type. Or, you know, here's the plan if the next one doesn't work. There was never even a questionnaire of like fill this out and let's score your depression. Yeah, let's I score your anxiety. That when I was younger, right? Like, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. So after I got off the Lupron, my mood started getting better again. I was still on an antidepressant since for like the past seven years or whatever. Yeah. Um. But I was feeling better. Um. But then my pain started coming back again because it lasted maybe a year where it was I was pain free did you stop the Lupron at your choice or was it just the six months over I just went over the I just did the six months and then I um yeah got off of it in about September okay and then and nobody at this point had thought that that was contributing to your mood no (laughs) like what the fuck yeah like (laughs) oh my god yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't... Yeah, That's I don't crazy. Say. It was ridiculous looking back on it. Um, but yeah, that always took a backseat to like what's going on right now for the pain-wise, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I was on the Lupron from like January to July-ish? August, maybe? Okay. And then... It, so a year after that, I was fine and then... That's when the pain started coming back again, and I was like, I'm not going through this again, and I'm just a little research maniac on yeah. <laughs> online. Yeah. Um, so I was a bit more mature at this point. I was 25 and um, just wanted to be a better advocate for myself. Yeah. Um, so I did lots of research, and I found a Facebook group called Nancy's Nook. Okay. Um, and it was, it's run, it's like an educational group that's run by an RN in the States. And it's like every research article you could think of is like on this page and there's a list of every excision specialist in the world that's on there. Wow. And she's, she's like a, she's amazing. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm really grateful that I found that and I found out what excision surgery was. Mm -hmm. Um, There was one in Edmonton at the time who's now retired, um, but he was out of St. Albert. So I got a referral to him and then I got... Um, I got put on the wait list for another surgery. Mm-hmm. So that was in about October I got on the wait list. And then I had my surgery in February. Oh, no. No, sorry. I had my surgery in October. Okay. So it was just a couple of months wait. Okay. And it was just, that was a game changer because he did it correctly and he did yeah. it laparoscopically. So my healing was like a week and I was fine. Yeah. Um... And then just going through like all the research on the Facebook page, I found out different like holistic treatments that mm-hmm. I could start trying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started going to acupuncture, um, pelvic floor physiotherapy, which mm-hmm. really helped because a, a 
side effect of endometriosis that people don't talk about is painful intercourse. Oh, okay. Um, because you're like always tensed against the like against the pain whenever something touches it, like yeah. your pelvic wall, it's like a spasm. Yeah. So going to physio really helped with that. Diff- learning different like relaxation techniques to like help your pelvic floor relax. Yeah. Um, I started working with a holistic nutritionist out of Calgary. Oh, cool. And she did like more um, like in-depth hormone testing than I've ever had done. So yeah. that was really good. Yeah. Um, and I started taking supplements. And so that all combined with the proper surgery, I've been like symptom-free for since then. Wow. So for six or five years now. Wow. So my periods are still, they're still painful, but they don't last six days of like heavy terrible. bleeding. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I have like one day that maybe I need to take a day off of work every couple months, but yeah. it's not six days every month. So that's yeah, really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How crazy is it though too, that like a holistic nutritionist is the one that can do this mm-hmm. in depth. And you probably had to pay for that out of yeah. pocket, right? Yeah, that one was $600, I think. Yeah. And like, I just, there's so much wrong with our healthcare system and mm-hmm. there's no like upstream approach, right? There's no like, let's start working at this from the bottom before the problem starts. Mm-hmm. It's just like these band-aid fixes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So then... You're what, 25 now mm-hmm. um, at this point? Mm-hmm. And when did you meet your husband? Um, when I was 24, 23, 24-ish. Okay, so he so, was kind of yeah, aware was, yeah. of all this. Um, and then we probably started trying or like not trying, so like not using any kind of protection yep. um, when I was maybe 26, I think I was. Okay. And just, yeah, nothing's, nothing happened, obviously. And then I got a referral to, again, back to PCRM, um, probably in, I don't even know when it was, a couple years before we got married. Um, but we just, he was very like, I want to do it the right way. So I had to get married first and blah, blah, Okay. Blah. <laughs> yeah. So we got married in 2022 and then in January. So we had our appointment with the PCRM. Um, just like a couple months after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did all my like investigations through PCRM. So it was free, thankfully, like, nice. over to health. Yeah. Um, so I had to get like my tubes flushed. They had to do a sono histogram of your uterus with like fluid and or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then all the blood work and stuff. Um, so when I got my tubes, they, they flush your tubes with like this blue, blue something. Okay. <laughs> to see if it like spills through. Yeah. Um, and mine wasn't like it was it was really painful to do it but there they showed the picture and it was like a like a ball almost okay. on my tube okay um it did eventually spill um but the doctor that did it was like most doctors would want to remove this tube because it's abnormal and if you're doing IVF and you have a an embryo it'll say that this is a bad environment okay and that it would so it won't implant because they think the environment's bad okay so I was like okay well that's Next to my list, I guess, get the other tube removed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that doctor recommended that. Um, and then, sorry, my previous doctor who did my excision surgery also noted that the tube was very, he were very abnormal. Okay. So he wanted it to get removed as well. Um, but then, so I had my first, uh, like, in-person appointment at PCRM. Um, 
can I say the doctor's name? Yeah. <laughs> Some people are. <laughs> uh, I was with Dr. Hilton. And it was just, like, not a good experience. They were very impersonal there. Mm -hmm. um, she came in and just, like, went right under the sheet. And I was like, she's like, okay, so... And she just starts talking. I was like, well, I'm supposed to wait for Dr. Hilton. Like, are you Dr. Hilton? And she's yeah. like, oh, yeah. And she, like, picks her head up and is like, yeah, that's me. Oh, my God. And then she, like, does her... Does the... Um, the saline um, ultrasound of my uterus okay. and she just didn't tell me what was going on she just like goes through it and says oops at one point <laughs> I was like what's going on why are you saying oops yeah um, and then she just it was like a five minute appointment she pops up and was like alright everything looks good we can start your IVF cycle tomorrow and I was like well I was told differently like can we like talk about this like why do you think we can just start it tomorrow yeah um, she's like, no, your tube is fine. The report says that it flushed. And I'm like, and I just tried to explain to her that the doc, the doctor that did it, um, recommend differently. And she's like, no, it's fine. And then it's hard because I'm paying them like $20,000. So is it, is it in her best interest if I fail? So she gets more money. Yeah. So I don't, like, I just got a weird vibe from her. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else did she do? Um, sorry, I lost my train. No, it's okay. <laughs> I can't imagine, like, you're sitting there, you're so vulnerable, like, you know, where is the bedside manner? Where is, like, the yeah. empathy for these patients that are, you know, this is a very, like, impactful time in your life where you're like, okay, what's mm -hmm. going to happen? What's the next step? And you're getting conflicting opinions and yeah I that's it's so frustrating mm -hmm. and just so yeah I was really torn like should I trust the specialist but then again I also didn't know if did she truly want me to succeed or does she want more money yeah so I don't know that's a negative viewpoint in life no is, but <laughs> no I think that's completely valid yeah so I was just torn about that um what else happened there I think I Okay, so then that's when my a coworker told me that she was doing IVF um, abroad. Okay. So I started looking at different clinics as well, just as I kind of just wanted a second opinion from mm -hmm. a different like fertility specialist. Yeah. Um. So there was a couple different ones that popped up. Um. In my research, Prague was one of them. It was okay. supposed to be really good. Um. But they didn't give your, their success rates on their website. Um, and then we found the Barbados Fertility Center, which had better success rates than Edmonton. Okay. And it was cheaper. So I was like, wow. okay, cool. <laughs> Let's go do this on a beach. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we started the process with the Barbados Fertility Center. And we had our phone consults within a couple weeks. And it was, it was like the head doctor that called me. And I knew that I wanted to go to them when she kind of just started it off saying, I'm sorry, we have to have this conversation. Yeah. And just like something as simple as that yeah. made me want to go across the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you didn't even get that in your own mm -hmm. backyard. Right? I didn't even get an introduction. Yeah. And so I, she was lovely and she kind of went through my, my history really, um, like thoroughly. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, sorry. Another thing about, um, what Dr. Hilton wanted to do, she, so in Canada or Alberta, probably, I don't know if it's all Canada, they have specific protocols for IVF. Okay. So they have like an endometriosis protocol, a low AMH protocol, which is low egg count. Okay. Um, and I have both of those things. Okay. So like, because I only have one ovary, I have like 
half yeah. the eggs, I guess. Yeah. Um, so she was like, okay, since you reacted negatively to Lupron in the past, we're just going to ask the endometriosis protocol and go to the AMH protocol. And I was like, okay, but I still have stage four endometriosis. Like, isn't this going to make an impact? Yeah. She's like, no, it's all right. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So you're just like was... getting these red flags. Yeah. And they just, okay, which are, is that credit or debit? Like, oh, it was just yeah. a very impersonal experience. Um... So once I started talking to with Barbados, they're just they're so kind and um, they do like a patient specific approach, which is really nice. So she took um, she like made the medication protocol based on I have endometriosis, I have low AMH, I have ABC, all these things. Yeah. Um, so she made a protocol like specifically to me and they're very holistic as well, which I really like. Yeah. Um, so they had me talk with their dietitian. Um, they have acupuncture like on site there, which nice. they don't have that. What the clinic in Edmonton just started doing, PCRM just started doing that. Yeah. But um, they like actually encouraged me to do that. They did like reflexology, massage, and like yeah. um, they have a therapist there. And it was just a very holistic approach, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I really like that. Um, so yeah, we were sold after that first phone call that we yeah. wanted to go there. Um, the hard part was getting all of our documents that I have here um, sent over there. Okay. So that was quite the process. Like I had to go to um, health records and it cost like 25 cents a page. Oh, <laughs> So I had to like figure out when I was hospitalized for all my surgeries, like the specific dates. And then yeah. they get all my blood work and everything, all my results. Yeah. Um, and then I had to get the actual image of my, of the tube. Okay. With a little ball on it or whatever. Yeah. And that was a pain in the ass. <laughs> it was so hard to find it. No one could give me the actual image of it. What? It was, I don't even, I can't even remember all the steps I had to do, but it was ridiculous. It took me like four months to phone calls and trying to get this stupid image. Oh my God. <laughs> like as if you need that added on your plate, yeah. right? Like you're, yeah. So that was frustrating <laughs> yeah um but i finally got it and i remember i was at work and i just like started like jumping up and down screaming and everyone's looking at me in the break room <laughs> like i found the picture of my tube <laughs> yeah i was so excited um but i sent it to them uh to Barbados, and they agreed that because it was wherever the bulge was was mm-hmm. near the end that it was like doable they didn't want to remove it at that time okay um because and they explained why, which was really nice. Like they didn't yeah. want me to have another surgery and cause more scar tissue, um, to start. Cause whenever you have scar tissue, it gets more adhesions. Okay. Um, so my, like when I have, when I went in for my second surgery for endometriosis, it was like all my organs were kind of glued together. Okay. Like even when I had to go pee and my bladder was like, was pulling against it, it just like was yanking and it wow. hurt. Wow. Um, so they didn't want to add to that, which is fair. I yeah. get that. And every surgery around your um, ovaries decreases your AMH. Okay. So they didn't want to do that because it was already pretty low. Um, so yeah, we decided to go with Barbados. We sent the, the picture to them. And then we it was mainly through email, like all our correspondence. Okay. We had a, a nurse coordinator um, named Yon that we I worked with. And mm-hmm. she called me whenever I had any questions. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was stressful to coordinate through a different country, but I think my family doctor made like a huge impact on it because he 
they'll send you the prescription, but you have to get a Canadian doctor to co-sign it. Okay. To get it filled here. And he, like, listened to me and said, and I explained each of the meds and what they were going to do, and he signed them off. Nice. And there's lots of people in Edmonton that have Ontoribados and they can't get that done. Yeah. Uh, so I was really grateful for him. Um, um, oh, yeah, so they... They just have like different and better medications there. Like Canada is very conservative with their medications. Oh, okay. So I was put on um, an immune protocol as well as the endometriosis and low AMH mm-hmm. because there's some research that thinks that endometriosis is an immune response. Okay. Like an autoimmune. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was put on um, Lovenox, aspirin, and um, prednisone. Okay. Um, so I was... Those are, like, hard on your body, but there's, like, science behind it. Mm-hmm. And my doctor agreed to sign off on it, which was really good. Yeah. Um, a lot of them don't want to sign off on prednisone because that one's really hard on you. Mm-hmm. And with, was the idea with that one just to, like, decrease swelling um, and inflammation? And to decrease the chance that my body would reject the embryo. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I was on... I got all that. And so our first round was in December of 2022. Okay. Um, so you have to fly there for two weeks and be there for the full cycle for an egg retrieval and a transfer. Okay. And I was like blissfully unaware of like everything that could go wrong for that first round. I was just like, like my, our first scan went well and I was like, okay, cool. Like that's what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then I started the medications on a Friday and then I think we flew out on the Wednesday or Thursday of the following week. Okay. Um, so once we were there, we had scans every second day. Um, just to see how my follicles were growing. And then about halfway through our stay, um, I did a trigger shot, which mm-hmm. kind of just gave your eggs the go-ahead to mature. And okay. then they would collect them 36 hours later. Um, so I did my egg retrieval, and that first round we had five eggs, and but only one was mature. Okay. So that's like pretty low. Like A lot of IVF moms get like, like, oh, dang, we only got 20 eggs. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, I got five. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but again, I was pretty naive in the process. I was like, okay, cool, we have one egg, let's go for it. Yeah, it's your first time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then they called us every day after the egg retrieval to tell us how the um, embryo was developing. Mm-hmm. And because there was only one egg, they decided to do a day three transfer. It's kind of typical to do a day five transfer. Okay. Um, just to see... Like, if you have multiple eggs, um, they wait till day five to see which one is the best, like the number okay. of cells and stuff. Yeah. Um, but we only had one, so we did the day three transfer, um, and it was, like, the transfer day was great. Like, it's really, like, a, such a lovely day. Like, you're, excuse me, <clears throat> um, you go in and everyone just, they're so nice there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're, like, officially pregnant until proven otherwise. Like, it's just, like, a really good day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then that night I I woke up and I felt like I was like sweaty and I was going to puke and I just felt really sick that night. Yeah. And looking back, that was probably a, a bad sign because okay. that cycle didn't, it didn't end up working. Okay. Um, but so it was a couple days after our transfer that we flew back to Edmonton mm-hmm. and then on Christmas Eve, we took the test and it was negative. Um, we should. I, they told me to wait until Boxing Day to do it. To be like, wait the extra three days so it doesn't ruin Christmas. But we couldn't. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, you're excited yeah. and. Um. So we did that. Um. 
And yeah, like I guess the reason that we chose Barbados over Edmonton is the success rates, the mm-hmm. price was the sit like the actual we did XE plus um it was called Zymot. Okay. It shows the the best sperm to use and okay. they don't have that technology in Edmonton. Oh. So I was excited about that. Um, the price for that was the same as what it would be in Edmonton for just plain IVF. Yeah. And then, but then we obviously had to pay for like the two week vacation. So it was, yeah. it was a couple grand more, but I couldn't imagine going to each appointment and then going to work after and having to take care of my dogs and do all yeah. that. Yeah. I don't know how people do that. <laughs> yeah. I think um, their approach, their holistic approach is so... Um, like modern mm-hmm. and recognizing like this is a whole body process yeah like, definitely you know where everything needs to kind of be aligned and mm-hmm. relaxed and well taken care of yeah like they have their wellness center in just like right upstairs up there in the facility and i had acupuncture there um i went for a massage i had um a reiki session which was really cool yeah i've heard really good <laughs> things about reiki yeah, and it was just it's just so lovely there. They just every time you go in, they're just like, "Oh, Hannah!" They're singing your name and so personal. <laughs> so nice. This is a silly yeah. question. Do they speak English in Barbados? What's, yes, they yeah. have like British accents almost. Oh, okay. It's a British colony. Okay. Weird, weird fact: they have all Canadian banks there, which is oh, really weird. What? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but yeah, so and it was like right across the street from the beach, so it was just it was so nice. <laughs> and do you stay like right? in the facility or do you is it like a hotel um, so the first time we went we did an airbnb just like okay. off the road from from the center mm-hmm. it was like a five minute walk we didn't rent a car or anything everything was kind of yeah. within walking distance and yeah it was just so nice to go for your ultrasound and then go lay on the beach and yeah. not have to worry about listen to life. the waves and yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah that was lovely <laughs> did they do um as is it like standard there to do a workup on your husband just yes. to see yeah, okay you have to have everything done as well yeah just um, to make sure before you go ahead yeah, if he you needs have, some um, blood work and a, a semen sample before he went okay and then once we were there his only job was to do the give the sample on a collection day okay my bastard <laughs> right <laughs> they had it so easy they really do. <laughs> um and how i mean from what i've seen on your guys' social media like he seems like an amazing support mm-hmm. um but how is that been through that first cycle for you guys how has that impacted your mental health and like your relationship with each other uh so the that first loss was really really hard on me like i was very depressed for a long time after that so Mm -hmm. that happened in december um i was in bed for like a month straight i just didn't go back to work for a month and i just laid in bed for Mm -hmm. a month um and then I eventually found um through the pregnancy and infant loss support center in Calgary they mm-hmm. have a support group on early loss okay so I did that uh, once a week for ten weeks I think it was and that was it was really nice to find people in the same situation that I was in yeah there was two other women that did IVF and I'm still in contact with one of them which is really nice and yeah. Yeah, you just, like, make lifelong connections through stuff like that. Yeah, somebody that gets it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, in the same moment as you, it was really nice to have that support. Yeah. So that made a really big difference. Um, I started seeing a psychologist that specialized in infertility. Good. And that was hard to find, though. Could, can 
It's so frustrating to find a psychologist. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. I mentioned it in my episode. Like, looking, even if you just Google postpartum psychologist or psychiatrist, mm-hmm. you have got to, like, sift through, yeah. find... Like that Psychology Today website, I was so overwhelmed going through it. Like, even yeah. if I put in, um, like, infertility, it gives you stuff that aren't isn't for infertility. And you yeah. have to search through, like, hundreds and hundreds of psychologists. Yeah. Um, but I thankfully found one. She's in Edmonton? Um, yeah. Nice. Um, and I actually found her through my acupuncturist. There was on her bathroom wall, there was a sign that um, she has an endometriosis support group and then oh. um, one for infertility as well. So yep. it's like, yep, taking that number. Yep, this, yeah, this sounds like a good <laughs> fit for me. Yeah. Um, so I started seeing her um, every two weeks and then I finally got the courage to ask my family doctor for a referral to a psychiatrist. Yeah. And... Like, look, I don't know why it's so hard to get that referral. Like, it's, if I have had depression since 2010, and it's took until 2022 to see a psychiatrist, and I've been on medications that long, like, that shouldn't, I shouldn't be on medications for that long. Yeah. It sucks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, something is being missed, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and let the... I feel like sometimes family doctors take on a lot because they're trying to offload like mm-hmm. specialties, yeah. but it's like when you have been dealing with this for years and it's yeah. not working, like time to just say, okay, this is in my area. Mm-hmm. We're going to escalate and find somebody. So yeah. you did find a psychiatrist? Yeah. Um, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so they referred me to one in Leduc and but they were like a consult one so they will only see me three times and then i had to get a new referral to like be followed up (laughs) what so stupid why (laughs) so he started me on like a new medicate or new antidepressant and then um so i changed i was on um prestique and then they added abilify to it to kind of like up the how it works okay yeah okay um and then he's like okay well you can follow up with your family doctor he's like okay (laughs) Yeah, like, he sent me to you because he yeah. doesn't know what he's doing. Like, yeah. So that was frustrating, too. Um, but then I got another referral. I found a psychiatrist um, just online through, I think it was right my MD. Okay. <laughs> that I um, wanted to go to. And then he, so I'm now seeing one um, through that. Nice. Which is good. Um, and then, yeah, so, so medication, um, seeing a psychologist and having that support group, it took me about six months to get out of my like depressive episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just one day I was in the car and I noticed that I was just singing along to the song for the first time. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, this is what it feels like to be happy. Oh yeah. So that was, that was nice. I remember seeing something that you posted too. It was so cute about your dad coming over with like, you would Costco size bag of walnuts. Yes, yeah. You told him like walnuts are supposed to help with depression, and your dad shows up with this massive bag. Yes, it's so cute. Um, so you guys obviously are have support um mm-hmm. here in town with your families, and how is your husband um he is managed? Very strong. He's, but at the same time, he also doesn't talk about a lot of his feelings. He was in the military and he saw a bunch of shit and he doesn't talk about it. Yeah. Um, every once in a while he'll talk about it with me, but that's as far as I yeah. think I'm his only support that he, well, besides his military friends that have, were also there. Yeah. Um, so we don't, he doesn't talk about it a whole lot. He was very, very supportive for when I was going through, yeah, yeah. when I was depressed, he would... Like, make sure I was getting up to brush my teeth. He would, like, 
drag me to the shower yeah. <laughs> and put yeah. me in the shower. Um, and he would, he was just so supportive and so good. Yeah. Um, and I try to be the same for him because I know, like, I, we went through the same thing. I know yeah. how hard it is and I know he is struggling, but he just doesn't show it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, every once in a while he'll talk about it and we're able to, like, just yeah. go through it again and... Yeah, let out your emotions mm-hmm. and try and process things and... Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, when you did the transfer with the IVF, are you put out for that or are you awake? Uh, you're awake. Okay. So for the egg retrieval, the ear is under conscious sedation. Okay. Um, so I don't really remember anything, just like some kind of, like some pressure. Okay. And then you were just like out for the count for that day. Yeah. yeah. But I was able to waddle home. Yeah. <laughs> like I was, that was all right. And then the transfer was just like a pap smear kind of. Oh, okay. Yeah. They so... just had the same like, whatever that thing is. Yeah. Like brush or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, so they had, your guys's was like fertilized egg already mm-hmm. and then is it implanted like right into the yeah so they put like a little catheter in and then they're showing it on the ultrasound at the time yeah um, and they push it through with fluid i believe mm-hmm. and then you can see like a little dot like go into your uterus yeah and they're like all right you are now officially pregnant yeah <laughs> like, oh my gosh <laughs> and so that part didn't really hurt no not at all okay yeah it just felt like a pap it yeah. always seems like such a I mean, it is a very big deal, but, like, I always imagined that that would be, like, mm-hmm. a painful part or... Yeah, I would say the egg retrieval is more painful. Yeah. Some people have, like, a negative experience with the egg retrieval. They either, like, feel everything or... Yeah. Um, just the pain medications don't work on them, but I mine was okay. Yours was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind touching on what kind of, like, thoughts you were having in your depressive episode? Like, what you were mm-hmm. feeling... Um, a big thing for, like, we grew up Catholic, and I was, but I don't, like, I don't go to church. Okay. I go to church on Christmas and yep. Easter. Yeah. And a big thing is always, like, this is a punishment for me, because I don't go to church. I'm not. Okay. God isn't letting me be a mom. Yeah. And that was, like, kind of, like, an intrusive thought that was, like, always in my head, like, oh, you're feeling like this because you deserve it. Yeah. Um... And it was just, like, I didn't find, I couldn't find joy in anything. Um, I did, I was still going to work after that first month. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the kids were like, are you okay? Yeah. And I was like, if the kids are at my work are noticing that I'm not okay, this is bad. Yeah. Like, I can't, I need to be able to show up for my, my work. Yeah. Um, so I was really irritable. Um, I didn't have a lot of patience for the kids at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just sleep. I was always just tired and yeah. I would, I worked straight evenings. So I would sleep until 1 PM and then go to work and then go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. And that went on for, yeah, like six ish months. I think it's important to talk about the exhaustion piece because a lot of people think like, Oh, you're depressed or, Oh, you have anxiety or whatever. Like you're kind of making yourself sleep so that you don't have to deal mm-hmm. with the problem. But that's not the case. Like your body, when you're in those episodes, is literally in this state where your cortisol is running through the roof. Mm-hmm. You're like there are f- like physiologically things happening in your body that are making you that exhausted. Mm-hmm. It's not your choice, right? Like mm-hmm. plus, I imagine you probably weren't sleeping great. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's gonna Im- impact you mm-hmm. for the rest of the day. Yeah, and my psychologist put it 
well when she said like you're in survival mode and that is exhausting it takes everything in you to get up and brush your teeth it takes yeah. everything in you to to drive to work and yep. not drive into the ditch <laughs> yeah like yeah literally yeah and it's it's um i think it shows how strong you are that as you're dealing with this you're also working with children that have psychiatric mm-hmm. um concerns right and that at some point i'm sure is probably a little bit um not triggering maybe but like you can kind of empathize with them that like mm-hmm. what this feels like and yeah yeah definitely. yeah but it does it did get like exhausting i keep saying the word exhausting yeah yeah it was a lot to when my cup was empty trying to fill someone else's yeah especially a child mm-hmm. yeah so that was that was a lot. <laughs> um, did you end up taking time off from work? I didn't know. No. That was, we talked about it, but that was the only thing that was getting me up. Yeah. was the responsibility to go to work. Yeah. So, and my team was so supportive. Like I, for the um, support groups, it was, everything happens in the evenings. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So I was able to take every Tuesday off to go to the support group and my coworkers didn't make me feel bad about it. So oh, they, good. They were just so, so supportive and so good. Um, I know every time you post, it's like they have signs for Hannah and they're like <laughs> so supportive. And yeah, they're really good. That's good. Mm-hmm. It's nice that you can find that support outside of the house or outside of your mm-hmm. like main circle, right? So that work doesn't become more of a stressor than it probably already is. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's really important to have like a solid team. And we're really lucky at my job because I work with the same three people every day. Nice. So it's just my second family and they're so good. Yeah. And I think it also speaks to the importance of you have been so brave in sharing your whole entire journey. Um, and when you do that, you you also allow your circle to understand how to take care of you, mm-hmm. right? Or what you need or yeah. understand maybe why you're having an off day um, kind of thing, right? It'll yeah, definitely. Prompt them to be like, "Hey, Hannah, are you okay?" Mm-hmm. You and know? sometimes, like, I w- I am very open on social media about our whole infertility journey, um, but I've used that to because it's exhausting to respond to people to mm-hmm. say, "Like, are you okay?" And you're not okay, so it's yeah, it's just exhausting to always respond to people. And I used like my Instagram post to kind of say, "This is what I'm going through. This is what is helping me." Yeah. And then rather than asking, are you okay? They show up with a meal. Yeah. I think that's so important, mm-hmm. right? Like it, being able to vocalize what you need mm-hmm. um, and that uh, people mean well when they, they do, ask yeah. you, are you okay? But sometimes that's not helpful. Yeah. Right. Sometimes you like, it's a lot of pressure. Like I, it's pressure to say, yeah, I'm, I'm good now. Yeah. You know, I'm good. <laughs> when you're like, no, I'm not yeah. like, and I think, you know, it's, um, one one lady that I had interviewed, um, she said to me, when I was going through IVF, everyone kept saying like, oh, I'm so excited for you. And she's like, it's not exciting. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know, if you've gotten to a point where you're doing IVF, you've been through a lot to get there. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very nerve wracking and very... So I think that's really good advice that listeners can take forward that like, you know, asking, are you okay? Maybe isn't the best um, mm-hmm. Maybe what's the worst part of your day and how can I make that better? Yeah, I like that, right? And getting mm-hmm. that allows you to get it off your chest mm-hmm. um, and then giving them like an actual physical way to support you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then you stayed at work. Mm-hmm. 
And then what happened? Um, yeah, there's guess that one day I was singing in the car and I was like, all right, I'm starting to feel like myself again. And I had the energy to do things that I know brought me joy. Like I started seeing my friends again and, um, going to yoga and meditating and just doing things that I know are good for me. And slowly, but surely I kind of just got back to being me. Mm -hmm. Um, that took probably until about, I would say like July. Okay. Um, and then... It kind of went downhill again in August when it was, um, that would have been our due date. Okay. Um, August 31st. So we, like that week leading up to it, I was just dreading it. But yeah. So we had like a nice, we got a little birthday cake and yeah. had a moment of just yeah what could have been. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's really important to, um, recognize those dates, um, and maybe celebrate isn't the right word, but just acknowledge, acknowledge yeah. yeah, yeah, that you guys mm-hmm. went through this that was a life that was lost and mm-hmm. you know it's um it's important and it's valid and mm-hmm. um yeah so after august um then where were you guys at um we started thinking about trying again okay um cuz yeah throughout that the past 7 8 months or whatever everyone was like are you going to try again what what are your plans and it was just the last thing on our minds we just didn't care yeah um, yeah just yeah just trying to heal from the our first loss um but around september i started like feeling excited again feeling yeah. like okay we can try again like first one never works let's try the second one <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um so because it has been just over a year i had to do all my tests over again okay um so i got the blood work and um all the um Blushing and song histograms and all that, <clears throat> and then when did we go? We went in October, so mm-hmm. um, we got that done quickly. Um, and we were planning on going October 10th, I believe it was. And so I got my first ultrasound, they call it like the baseline ultrasound, okay, um, just to see if everything's good. And again, like last the year before I was very naive and I just like, okay, everything's going to be good. We're going to start our meds today. Yeah. And they were like, no, everything's not good. (laughs) So I got a phone call from our, from Dion, our nurse coordinator. And she said that I have a cyst. Okay. So the cyst has grown. I did have a cyst the previous year, but I guess it's, it grew to seven centimeters this time. Okay. And she's like, can you get it removed? I was like, what? I'm like, I'm supposed to leave in a week. <laughs> Let me just call up the surgeon. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh, it doesn't look, like work that way in Canada? I was like, no. No. Yeah. <laughs> so she gave me two options. Um, come to Barbados early and then they could remove it. Just, I think it was $500. Okay. Um, or go on the scheduled time and then they would remove it and I have to extend at the end. So regardless, okay. they needed to remove the cyst. Yeah. Um, so PSA always get flight insurance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was terrible. So I had to go earlier, um, without Darren. Okay. Cause he couldn't get the time off work. So I went three days early. Mm-hmm. Um, our flights were a gong show. We got like, yeah, wasn't there a storm or something? Yeah, I was, remember there's a hurricane or something. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and we got rerouted to Trinidad and then they were like, okay, we're going to the Dominican Republic for the night. Sorry guys. Oh my and God. And so I was like freaking out cause I'd have to cancel the surgery the next day. 
And then, like, in the middle of the flight, they're like, the storm has cleared. We will be landing in Barbados. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I remember watching her Instagram being like, what? Like, is she going to have to cancel? Like, oh, my God. Everyone's, like, stressed out listening. Yeah. Oh, terrible. <laughs> Cheering you on. Um, but we, I got there, like, 10 hours late. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so that was... It was stressful doing that alone like i made friends with the little lady beside me and she was like like my mama bear she like went up to the pilot she's like she has a surgery in the morning you need to get this plane to barbados yeah she gets <laughs> off the plane first <laughs> oh my god i yeah, love that was really sweet um but i got there so i went uh, we stayed i stayed in the same airbnb that we did last year so okay. this was a bit familiar um i went for the surgery and again they did it through conscious conscious sedation okay um, and that one was a bit more painful than the egg retrieval. So they, I think it was just like a catheter and they just like drained the cyst rather, okay. than, rather than going through surgically and removing it. Yeah. Um, but it was filled with blood, which means it's an endometrioma. So that means the endometriosis is back. Okay. So that was disappointing to hear, but yeah. they got rid of it for then anyways. Yeah. Um, and then I just kind of putzed around for a couple of days until Darren showed up. Yeah. <laughs> was recovery Okay. From that? Uh, like, did you feel... No, it was, it was it fine. It was okay? I, I took about, like, a, a day of sleeping, and then I was fine. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like your pain tolerance is probably really high after all the <laughs> pain you've had to experience with your periods yeah. and everything. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll know when I'm when I go through labor. Right? Yeah, you'll be able to tell. <laughs> Epidural right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Darren gets yeah, there. Yeah, so he gets there, and then... Um, so I had to wait until after the cyst was removed to start my stimulation meds, which okay. should have started like a week before. Okay. So I was very delayed, so, but it was, it was so nice. Like we just, we did our injections at night, Darren did them for me and mm-hmm. we would just lay by the pool and we rented a car that time. So we would just kind of like, yeah. just putz around and relax. Yeah. <laughs> so that was really nice. Um, still had our ultrasounds every second day to see how the follicles were growing. Mm-hmm. Um... And then we ske- we're scheduled for the egg retrieval. And, oh, I guess I could have touched on why they thought my cycle failed. Oh, yeah, from um, the first time. I meant to ask you that. Yeah, so they think it was an egg quality issue because I had five eggs and only one was good enough to okay. fertilize. Okay. Um, so I spent the six months, or the however many months, I think it was three months actually, um, working on egg quality. There's lots of things you can do in your diet and okay. exercise to improve it and different supplements. So I did that and so I did our egg retrieval for the second round and again we got five eggs mm-hmm. and then and four were mature. Okay. And all four fertilized. So that wow. was like a very good accomplishment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a big improvement. Like gives you kind of reassurance that what you did worked mm-hmm. um for egg quality. Mm-hmm. So they were happy with that, and we were, like, ecstatic that all four fertilized. We were just got the phone call at, like, 8 in the morning, and we were just jumping around. And yeah, <laughs> so yeah, all excited. excited. Um, and then the waiting game started again, and we just got the phone call every day to see how they were progressing. Mm-hmm. And we assumed we would do a day three transfer again, just because I, I don't know, I have terrible luck, so I always thought that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, do it early again. Yeah. Um, but they wanted to do a day five transfer so i was like oh cool i'm part of the normal person club yeah yeah (laughs) um so we had three no how many was it three made it to day three and then on day five there was two of them the last one i think i called it arrested i don't really know what that means but it wasn't viable okay 
Um, but because we made it to day five, then we had to extend our trip again on the end. Okay. <laughs> so again, flight insurance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, and then, so we had our day five transfer and it was just, it was so like blissful and we kept getting like weird signs. Like there's, um, like sea turtles are a sign of fertility and yeah. we went, um, scuba diving and just a bunch of sea turtles were like surrounding me. Yeah. And then Darren went, um, to get a beer at the at the beach bar and there was like a little baby sea turtle just like sitting there oh my gosh <laughs> it's a sign yeah <laughs> yeah so we were really excited and it was yeah just really really nice we got all our friends to eat french fries yeah right? what's the <laughs> mcdonald's french fry it's just like a superstition that if you eat fr- mcdonald's french fries on your transfer day it'll be successful and that's like an <laughs> ivf community mm-hmm. thing oh yeah. my gosh that's so funny <laughs> i remember watching your stories and there was like tons of people having mcdonald's fries <laughs> yeah because there's no McDonald's on the island, so everyone oh, okay. went to McDonald's for us, and that was, yeah, just so, like, heartwarming to get all those texts throughout the day. Yeah, saying, really like, nice. we're supporting you, we're here, mm-hmm. we're thinking of you, yeah. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, so, yeah, so our trip was extended on the end again, but it was, it was alright, we were mm-hmm. stuck in paradise for a couple more days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not too bad. Um, and then, once we got home... They, like the first my first cycle I was able to wait the full two weeks before testing but okay. I was like a psychopath this time and I was testing all the time yeah um, like after day four I just started testing yeah um, did you have that same feeling like you know how you said that the first one you were feeling like that yeah like weird hot flash kind of pain mm-hmm. or whatever no I felt fine good. this time okay so I was I took that as a good sign yeah um and so I was testing like twice a day after day four, which is a bit excessive. <laughs> hey, <laughs> but I did it. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, and then on day seven, I started getting that positive line. Okay. And then it started like kept getting darker and darker, and we were just so excited. Like I've never seen a line on a test before. Yeah. Um. So super excited, and it just kept getting darker. And then on the actual test day, we took um, two different ones. We took a digital one, and then a. Um, clear blue or something okay and the clear blue was positive but the digital one said not pregnant oh so i was like okay and i texted dion and asked what they wanted me to do yeah um so she sent me for blood work to see um our your ECG levels yeah and they said anything they like to see above 100 but anything above 15 or everything anything above 25 i think it was is positive okay um so i got the blood work and that was just like staring at my phone all day waiting for it to be uploaded yeah yeah <laughs> and the first one was 17 so it was above 15 so it was positive yeah um um so i told her i told Dion that and she said okay get another one in two days and if it increases by any means it's positive okay it's supposed to double every tw- every 48 hours okay um so we just waited 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 and then got the other one and I wasn't doing any home pregnancy tests because I was just too nervous. Yeah, yeah. And then I got it, got the second blood work done, and um, I was at work that night, just like checking my phone all night. And then it, it was like eight o'clock at night. It finally came through, and it had decreased to thirteen. Ugh. So it was. They called it a chemical pregnancy. It was. Yeah. I was pregnant, but then it just didn't stick. Yeah. So I just that was. A bad night. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you're at work. It's 8 p.m. You get the blood work results that it's uh, went from 17 to 13. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember going into the bathroom and just, like, 
shoving a towel on my face and weeping because yeah. I didn't want anyone to hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, and but my co nurse was so good and just told me to go home. Yeah. And so I just went home and I texted Darren and he was able to come home from work early as well because we were both on evening shifts. And yeah, we just cried yeah. <laughs> and just spent the night together and um I was wor- he was really worried that I was gonna like get really depressed again yeah um and I was like I felt like I was in a better space I was seeing my psychologist I was on med- medications that were working yeah um so I was a bit more optimistic I took um just two days off of work mm-hmm. and like my main thing was I was just like so angry. Yeah. <laughs> I was pissed off that it's like I did everything right. I was did didn't drink alcohol for like three months. Yeah. Um I was taking all these stupid supplements and everything and didn't fucking work. And yeah. It was so frustrating. Yeah. Like people will get pregnant by accident and I'm literally lining everything up perfectly and it still doesn't work. Yeah. Um so that was my main thing for <laughs> a couple months. I was just pissed off at everyone. Yeah. And I think yeah, that anger is completely valid, mm-hmm. right? And you it, you need to to feel that, like let that emotion out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I was just very angry for <laughs> a couple months there, um, but I've been doing a lot better than the last, first time, the last round. Um, yeah, I didn't really get into like a depressive episode or anything like that, which was really yeah. good. Um. Well, it's nice to know that the supports that you have found mm-hmm. with your psychologist and psychiatrist, like, mm-hmm. that's huge to feel like you have them behind you. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess I just felt more prepared for worst case scenario, even though I was, excuse me, really optimistic and happy that it was positive for that week. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you feel like... Did that give you, being able to see that positive, did that give you hope for potential future cycles? Like, yes, like I, they always say like the silver lining of a failed IVF cycle is that you know what not to do and what is going to work in the future. And we did have progress. Like we went from one egg to four. Mm Mm-hmm. And we went to a day from a day three transfer to a day five, and they put me on a different protocol the second time. So it was yeah, they know what's going on, and now that they know, they think that this one didn't work because they think that it um my body is attacking the embryo. Okay, kind of like an autoimmune yeah. thing mm-hmm. again. Okay, so I have to go to um a clinic in, I think it is Boston actually. No, you oh, said wow. Boston. <laughs> yeah, um and. There, it's like a, an immune hospital or something. Okay. Um, so I got a bunch of testing through them. And then if it is, then I would have to get either like intralipids done or IVIG. Okay. Yeah. We do IVIG with kids that have encephalitis. Mm-hmm. So I was really interested to hear that. Yeah. Um, they would do that before transfer. And then I think it's like weekly after. And they would do, Barbados would do that for you? Um, Barbados would do the one the during transfer. Okay. But I'd have to get a my doctor in Canada to prescribe it. Okay. okay. So I'm hopeful that my family doctor will do that. Yeah. Uh, they want me to wait to do this blood work until a month before we plan on going again, just so okay. it's the most accurate and and closest to the time that we're doing it. Yeah. Um, so and is the blood work like a 
like a different panel, like an autoimmune mm-hmm. panel. Okay, yeah. okay. So I guess they don't do it in Canada, so that'll be a thousand dollars. To but, go do it in Boston. Mm-hmm. Well, wow. we can do it here. Okay, um, and then I just FedEx it, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Boston. send it there. <laughs> okay. Um. So yeah, that's the next step. Um, and getting the money because crisis is expensive. <laughs> yeah, like my gosh, yeah. and nobody. I mean, you knew that you may have difficulty mm-hmm. um, conceiving just based on your diagnosis at 22. Um, but nobody, especially nowadays, nobody has these savings. No. Like, it's so damn expensive to just live, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah, it's... I just hope to see in the future, like, better coverage for these things. Yeah, that'd and, be amazing. Right? Like... Yeah. So many um, places in Europe have the first three tries are covered. Even yeah. in, I think it's Ontario has some coverage. Wow. Um, but Alberta's like, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Which is Alberta for most things, I feel like. <laughs> um, so yeah, like our first cycle, we used our wedding money for that. Yeah. Um, our second cycle, I sold my truck and was able to do that. Yeah. And now we are. <laughs> and I remember, did you have a sending your condo? Yeah, but I lost money on that stupid oh. thing. Freaking <laughs> condos, yeah, right? Never buy a condo. Oh, I'd be like Riley's truck too. We would lose money on his truck. Um, yeah, I, I, I just admire you for being able to sit here and share this um, journey because it will be so impactful for other moms that are going through it to know like it's okay to have all these feelings and you know, it's okay if the first cycle doesn't work and you have to do it again. Um, yeah, I kind of wish I saw more of that on social media. Um, there's so many people that are very, like, quiet about their IVF journey and teach their own, like, if it's... Yeah. It's a very personal thing. Yeah. Um, but I wish I knew that it wasn't going to... Like, it's... The chances were quite low for the first time. Yeah. Like, so many people have a failed cycle the first time. Yeah. And I was very like, oh, it's going to work. I'm just, I was very naive yeah. to the fact that there's lots of things that could go wrong. Yeah. And just how much it's going to cost. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Know? The financial part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, this might be a dumb question, but PCOS, is that something that's like commonly linked to endometriosis or is that like, I don't think so. I don't think they're linked. No. no? Okay. So they're different. So polycystic ovarian syndrome is different than ovarian cysts. Okay. So ovarian cysts are like in the pelvis, pelvic area and they're like masses. Whereas from PCOS, I believe they're like in the ovary. Okay. So the endometriosis can cause these cysts. cysts. Yeah. If it's advanced enough, you'll get the endometriomas, like the blood filled cysts. Yeah. Um, And that's when you're either stage three or stage four. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I never realized that you could get that tissue growing Mm -hmm. um, elsewhere. Yeah, and your diaphragm is, and your bowel is a big one. Yeah. And lots of surgeons aren't specialized in the bowel. There's a couple in Calgary that are, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and your gut health too is so Mm -hmm. impactful to everything. Yeah, definitely. Like I find if I'm on like an anti-inflammatory diet and no dairy and no gluten, I feel so much better. Yeah. And my periods are so much better. So wow. it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, especially when you grow up in a world where, you know, you didn't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. And then now all of a sudden we're learning all this new information. Yeah. And I love garlic bread. <laughs> yes. Right. Like it's hard to, and McDonald's fries, like yeah. <laughs> it's hard to break that habit. 
actually, McDonald's fries are gluten free. Learn that. Really? I yeah. don't know. I always think like potatoes are just like you just, just like associate gluten. carbs yeah. with with gluten. <laughs> um, so okay, maybe talk about that. So you have um an anti-inflammatory diet, mm-hmm. and is that through the holistic nutritionist? Yeah. So she's um, it's called Natural Hormone Healing out of Calgary. Okay. And she was amazing. She so I got my hormones tested through her. Yeah. And they do um, it's called the Dutch test, the dried, dried urine. Um, yeah i've done one of those before oh yeah yeah okay yeah Yeah. so it tests like everything in depth and it's like dried urine for like different times of the day yeah um and then we went over the results and she put me on different supplements and then just automatically put me on um gluten-free dairy-free yeah no alcohol no caffeine oh god because they're all inflammatory yeah and when i was like like i worked with her for about a year and i was very um like strict with with that and I felt amazing yeah I've slow like I drink caffeine in moderation and drink occasionally yeah um, but excuse me I definitely feel better when I'm not yeah mm-hmm. well and that's good to know too you've recognized the difference and then going forward mm-hmm. if you guys do another cycle you can like you said three mm-hmm. months cut it out yeah get yourself feeling optimal yeah because you can affect your egg quality three months in advance so okay if you um if you eat well if you take the supplements that are good for your eggs mm-hmm. like um nac is really good um coq10 magnesium mm-hmm. i take a lot of vitamins <laughs> yeah i bet do you sort them out into like do i have like my little weekly thing yeah <laughs> i would have to i wouldn't be able to remember <laughs> um but yeah there's lots you can do to to help yourself along um and you guys still feel um like really confident with Barbados and mm-hmm. yeah yeah like I I mentioned now has the a new clinic that just opened and they okay. are a bit more holistic is that milestones no it's no. called Alberta Fertility I think okay okay Alberta Reproductive Center or something like that um but I'm just I just love it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they know you, and yeah, they know our history. They know what's worked, and I don't want to have to get all that to a yeah. clinic. Yeah, and again, like the immune protocol, though those three meds, the Lovenox, aspirin, and prednisone, mm-hmm. Canada won't do that. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And so the Lovenox and the aspirin is to prevent blood clots, like mm-hmm. and to just to prevent your um, body from rejecting it from okay. the embryo. Okay. Um, and like some clinics in Canada will do it. I know Olive out of um, Vancouver will do prednisone, but okay. at, like at 10 milligrams, whereas I was at 25 milligrams. Wow. So it's... Did like, you feel the steroid side effects? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like I remember yeah. we would warn families at work, like, okay, your kid is going to be a little <laughs> bit wild on this. Like <laughs> yeah. don't take it personally. <laughs> um, yeah. And I gained a lot of weight on steroids too. Which yeah. Is <laughs> yeah. That's hard. Mm-hmm. And it's like... Okay, you're trying to, you know, stay healthy and do this cycle, but then they're giving you these meds that you have mm-hmm. no control over what happens with your body, yeah. right? And then weaning off of the steroids after um, we confirmed that it wasn't, that it didn't work. That was so frustrating because I'm like, I hate these steroids and I'm weaning off them very, very slowly. Yeah. And I'm I want to like, just stop. Yeah. Them. And I'm like, and I get nothing out of this. Yeah. <laughs> and I had like acne from... I assume it was from the pregnancy of that week. And I'm yeah. like, I still have acne and I don't have a fucking baby. Yeah, yeah. This is not normal. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, would you have stayed on the prednisone the whole time? Uh, up until 12 weeks they keep you on it. Okay, okay. So the first, mm-hmm. first semester. Um, 
So what kind of changes have you noticed since starting your journey at 22 and getting that diagnosis? Like, have you seen improvements or like more access to resources for endometriosis patients? Um, the Endometriosis Network of Canada now has more accurate information on their um, website. Okay. And they have a list of all the surgeons that are excision specialists, mm-hmm. which I didn't, they didn't have that when I was going through it. Yeah. I had to go through again, like that Facebook page that I just stumbled across. Yeah. Um, but now they have their list of excision specialists and they kind of drill into you. Like excision is the way to go. You do not get ablation surgery because it won't work long term. Yeah. And is that one more scarring the mm-hmm. ablation? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, it's, it's still, yeah, like there's 10 surgeons in Alberta. Like that's not a lot. No. no. <laughs> um, so then you're dealing with wait times and mm-hmm. yeah. And then my surgeon retired after I, um, I think one of my cysts returned somewhere in the middle there. Okay. And I had a fibroid or something. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, no, you retired. Good luck. <laughs> and was that the one that was in St. Albert? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Dr. Unger, he was really good. Oh. Um, but now there is one out of the high center, Dr. Dolly Wall, and she's a trained excision specialist, and she's really good. She's good. Okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm kind of wasting your time, though, because you have to, in order to stay on her list, you have to be seen once a year. But oh. I'm like they're not going to do anything for me until I have kids and I'm done having kids. Okay. Um, but I still have to go see her and be like, yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> I don't need anything from you, but I'm still here. So you have, can wait, so you have to, like she did the excision in order for me to, like, I want to keep her in my back pocket so that once I am done having kids, I can get another excision surgery. Yeah. Um, keep on top of the endometriosis. Yeah. yeah. And not have to wait two years to see her again. Yeah. So I stay on her patient list by seeing her once a year and you just go in and say hey this is where i'm at yeah Yeah. (laughs) got it got it also flaw to our system it really is like i I guess i'm wasting other people's time but i don't want to have to wait two years for no and you know what sometimes it's okay for you to be selfish and just (laughs) think about yourself right they get paid anyways regardless of whether you go sit in their office and have a procedure (laughs) or just go in and say hi Mm -hmm. oh so how are you feeling now mental health wise um, I just switched my medications again. <laughs> yeah, so I was I've, in that boat too. Um, they've now diagnosed me with treatment de- resistant depression. Okay. So I'm on my third antidepressant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was on different, like a bill of fine, well, trying to get the optimal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just switched to Trintilex a month ago today, actually, and I'm feeling really good. Good. So, what yeah. kind is that? Is it a, uh, I don't know. It's a newer one. I think it's an SNRI, I think. Okay, yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's really nice good. to be working. Mm-hmm. Feeling good. good on that. Because um, the next step after that um, would actually be ECT for me. Because oh. I, I guess after three failed ones, I want to look into that. So. Yeah. Which, I guess they do that a lot with pregnant people. So, because oh. they don't want you to be on SSRIs. Yeah. During, I think it's SSRIs during pregnancy. I don't know. One of them. I know some, like, there are safe ones that I was on an SSRI. With Lila, but I know mm. some IVF clinics are very um, yeah. specific with like, okay, we don't want you to be on Makes these. Sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just so they can eliminate that this was not a mm-hmm. factor in it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that's a possibility down the line. Yeah. Because um, my, my grandpa did do ECT as well, and my there's just a long line of mental illness in my family, so... And ECT is the electroconversion... Convulsive therapy. Convulsive therapy, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So a little... Little seizure to zap you back into happiness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and the therapy resistant 
depression, um, that's something that you still work with your psychologist mm-hmm. on. And what kind of um, like techniques does she do with you? Um, I'm she's very CBT based. Okay. So lots of like just challenging my negative thinking. Yeah. Um, but also like it, I think it's called the ACT acceptance something therapy. Okay. And accepting that yeah my genetics are shit and yeah <laughs> so this is something I'm gonna have to deal with for probably the rest of my life. Yeah. But how am I gonna get through it in my day to day? Yeah. Um. So lots of um like mindfulness that really helps me. Lots of. Di- different deep breathing and meditate every night yeah um uh yeah just challenging those negative thoughts i find they come do you find that that's hard like yeah <laughs> i find it so challenging to be able to like have the strength to stop that thought and be like no mm-hmm. i find it helps more like i have a cbt workbook that i do okay and if i have the time i'll sit down and write down the actual thought and then follow the prompts what and i find that more helpful than just doing it in my head and trying to say, oh, no, that's stupid. I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then you can actually yeah. see where is it coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Where, where's the facts that this is true and yeah, whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you're amazing. Honestly, <laughs> you are. I am so honored to help you share this story um, and to help bring more awareness for moms. Um, you listed so many great resources for people to look into whether it's on the Facebook group or, mm-hmm. um, you know, even looking into Barbados as a um, yeah, option. Highly recommend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even like you said, to be a part of um, an early loss group. And I think that's mm-hmm. also very important. What you said is that this is a loss. Mm-hmm. It's I've said it in multiple episodes. It does not matter where you're at in the pregnancy, how many weeks, how many days. It just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You That is a person to you and as soon as you do that procedure or as soon as you see that pink line on the test mm-hmm. you're already dreaming of what's coming right so um I just think that that needs to be talked about and recognized more so that moms feel um safe and validated that like it's mm-hmm. okay to grieve this yeah definitely you know it's mm-hmm. it's not something that you have to pretend or hide and feel like it's not a big deal because it is a big deal mm-hmm. yeah yeah I wish more people talked about miscarriages and how common they are and yeah. how hard it is to go through one. Yeah. Even just like what that feels like, right? Mm-hmm. Like I had one friend tell me, she's like, I never, I never knew like how painful mm-hmm. a miscarriage could be. Yeah. Um, not just mentally, but like physically. Mm-hmm. Um, before we leave, do you have any, anything else you want to say or anything you'd want to give advice to other moms listening or, um, um. Just to advocate for yourself and mm-hmm. try and I know it's sucks that you have to do this, but do your own research and yeah, advocate that you get the best care that you deserve. Yeah, and I think trusting like a huge thing for you was you trusted your gut with that first mm-hmm. um, physician here, and they were like, no, I didn't get a good vibe. I'm getting a second opinion. Yeah, um, that's super important. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, anything that your support circle or like listeners any advice that you could give us um when talking with somebody that's dealing with endometriosis or infertility like things not to say or things that are helpful um some things not to say (laughs) yeah list them off (laughs) i'm learning too i'm learning um your time will come everything happens for a reason 
hate that one. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, what's the fucking reason? At least you're young. Um, like, do you want my kids? I hate that one. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, not want, helpful. Yeah. Do you want me to carry your kid? Like, no, I want to be pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. huge. That's a, uh, as a woman, right? Like, that's a big, um, like, part of being a woman, right? It's, it, that's normal to feel like, no. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I want. I want to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think just asking, what is your hardest part of your day, and yeah. how can I help you through that? Yeah. And, yeah, just. I don't know. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I really like that because whether it's you know, I can't make it through dinner time mm-hmm. to get to bedtime. It's like, okay, here's a meal. Yeah. You know, I don't have the brain power to. Remember to do my laundry. Exactly, yeah. My yeah. mom would really would help me with that, and she would do my laundry for me when I was really struggling, which is super helpful. Yeah, just so that you're not walking out of your room feeling overwhelmed by mm-hmm. absolutely every thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, sometimes it's, and sometimes people want to talk, and they think that that's the best way to help, but it's like, sometimes you just need to be in your own mind mm-hmm. in your own space, and if people can help you with your surroundings, mm-hmm. um, that's huge. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. I know you were nervous and yes. everyone hates <laughs> hearing their voice after. And it's so funny. Um, <laughs> no, this was absolutely um, amazing and impactful. And I was so happy to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Okay, guys, we'll see you for the next episode. If this episode resonated with you, know that you're not alone and there is help available. It does get better, I promise. If you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health, reach out to your doctor or call the Alberta Mental Health Line at 877-303-2642. If you just need somebody to listen, I'm here for you too. If you feel empowered to share your own story, please reach out to me on Instagram at jm.wellnessformoms or by email at jmwellnessformoms at outlook.com. Before I go, I just want to thank you again for being here. Your mental health matters, period. It matters for you and for your baby. So please remember, you are enough and you always will be. We'll see you for the next episode.